Welcome to the Produce Industry Podcast, your weekly download on current events, trends, market reports, and community discussions. Join us each week from Tampa, Florida, as we cover all aspects of the produce supply chain industry. Ladies and gentlemen, here's your host, Patrick Kelly. Hey, produce people, welcome back to the Produce Industry Podcast. I'm your host, Patrick Kelly. As always, I am honored to be your company alive from Tampa, Florida. Today is January 15th, 2024, and that's right, we are in the third week of January. How is your new year going? Now, I can tell you this, my new year started off pretty good because I got two big boxes of the Juicy Crunch Tangerines by Noble Citrus, everyone. That's right, 40 years in the making, 60 days for the taking with these nuclear orange juice that comes out of this tangerine. It's amazing. I have devoured almost all 40 pounds that was given to me. I've juiced it, I've cut it, I've sliced it and diced it. You gotta have some of those Juicy Crunch Noble Tangerines. Now we're mixing it up today, everyone, because we have our first attorney on the line today. That's right, we have June Monroe, who started as a receptionist and is now the director at Fenmore Law. And guess what? She studies all thing agribusiness, PACA, employment law, and an overall great person, and let's not forget, a talented artist. A couple announcements before we get started today, everyone. I'll be headed out to PodFest Global next week in Orlando to up the game in the podcast industry and bring you more dynamite content for the produce and supply chain industry. And don't forget, our virtual networking hour is February 1st, everyone. I know it's not in January, we're going to have two in February because of my travel schedule. Heck, it happens, but we still have two that'll go on. So please join us for our first virtual networking hour of the year on February 1st. And we are gonna have a blast networking and communicating together. Then Fruit Logistica is right after that. And I want you to stay tuned because we have the first in-person networking hour coming to you March 7th, 2024, right here in Tampa, Florida. Now everyone, let's get June Monroe on the line today and get this episode started. Hey June, welcome to the show. Hi Patrick, thanks for having me today. Oh, this is gonna be amazing. You know, one thing that obviously I talked about in the first episode of the year uh, was some of the like top 10 items that happened last year and things that came up and Packa Trust was one of them. I mean, uh, that's something that comes up every single day. And I even told you, I had a buddy that literally was like, I'm 22 for 22 on Packa claims. And I was like, I'm not sure I'd even know what that means at this point. Right. And, <laughs> you know, that kind of brought us to where, where we are today. Right. You know, we met on LinkedIn and, you know, started the conversation of the who, what's, when's, where's, and why. Right. Right. And 22, you know, that's an amazing record. <laughs> wow. I, listen, I think it was more than that, June. <laughs> like, I, I think he said, I was like, is that on your resume? I'm like, you know, like <laughs> I got a certificate from, you know, Harvard. Yours says I'm 20 for 20. <laughs> I'm 30 for 30 on pack of claims. But I get, I get it, right? I get it in the fact of understanding that there is the Perishable Agricultural Commodities Act that is out there, right? And yes. it's justified to use it in the right context. Yes. And I think that that's kind of what we need to talk about, June. Like My favorite subject. 
Let's get into it. What is it? How is it? Like, because if you were to look <laughs> at this, you know, the 30,000 foot overview of PACA, I don't even think I understand it fully. You know what? Um, it is such a powerful piece of federal law. And it is, it was created in 1930 really to, to protect the produce industry, um, and it was intended to prevent unfair and fraudulent business practices because at the time, you know, there was unscrupulous people out there. And if you actually read the statute, some of it sounds like it's a no-brainer, like you're not supposed to uh, engage in fraudulent activity. Like they actually had to codify that. Uh, you can't lie about agreeing to deliver product and then fail to deliver it. It's like, these are, you really, you had to put this in law is this is because it was so rampant. And so that was the basis of creating PACA uh, so that everyone had like a playbook on how the industry should be engaging in the buying and selling of produce. And it was also meant to protect the food supply of America, right, in interstate commerce. Um, and over the years, it's been changed. Um, some of the big amendments was in uh, 1984, uh, the PACA Trust was created. So this is the, the portion of the law that really catapults produce suppliers ahead of all other creditors. And we, we can get into that in more detail. Um, and then there were some more amendments in 2011 to kind of clarify how you can deal with buyers who default on payment. So um, it's still ever evolving. There's, it's always being litigated and it's it's an aerial obviously that I'm very passionate about. And and we need people like you that are passionate about it. I mean, listen, I've been through PAC claims. Um, I've not lost, but I will tell you, and I'm gonna tell you, don't laugh. But the only person who wins in a lawsuit is, is the attorney, okay? And I know we hear that a lot, but it's like, we're spending money on the grower side. We're spending money on a customer side. How is that good for the industry? It really isn't. So I am glad that we have someone that's passionate about this because I think there has to be that, that medium, right? To be able to say, okay, stop. Let, let's look at this process. Let's understand this. I mean, no difference than, you know, I know this is a weird analogy, June, but there's no difference than like the self-checkouts today, right? Think about it like this. They're going to constantly have to evolve self-checkouts because one, if I go through a self-checkout and I scan those items in the self-checkout, I put it in the bag and I pay, why do I have to show my receipt to the person at the front and then have them check all my items, right? And if I don't and I leave the store and accidentally forget, they have it in their claws that now that's shoplifting now. So if you forget <laughs> to scan your item because you don't work there, technically now Walmart or Publix or whoever it is, Publix doesn't do uh, self-checkout, my bad Publix, um, <laughs> whoever the grocery store is, they can get you for shoplifting now. And I think that, that I put that analogy in place because from 1939 to 2011, there's got to be a constant movement and a constant change, right? to make sure of this, no difference than our constitution, right? We've got amendments to the constitution because we have to change with the times, right? So I, I really like that you, that you said that. Now, this is the other thing. 
So you you mentioned some of the procedures and the processes, though. If you look at PACA as a whole, if you were if I called you right now today as someone you didn't know and I didn't understand PACA, what would you tell me as a grower what PACA is? Like just a one blanket statement of boom. So, so you're the you're the grower. My audience is a grower, right? Yes, I'm the okay. grower, packer, shipper. I'm the guy growing, packing it, and then shipping it to the client. Okay, so the Perishable Agricultural Commodities Act uh, is a body of law that was really focused to protect the food supply. And the grower is a big part of that. And most of the statutes and regulations were created to protect you, the grower. Um, and there is a portion of that that even can elevate a grower into this super priority creditor status. But there are things that a grower and a produce supplier in general has to do to preserve that right. And it's called the pack of trust. Um, and there are things that a grower or a produce supplier does to waive those rights. So it's not automatic, but if you cross all your I's and dot your T's, um, you're in better standing than all other creditors. That and that makes sense, right? And I think that, as I know, there's two processes, am I right? There's a there's an informal and a formal process. and And I think that even that, like if you were to say, to me, like, oh, informal process. I would say, okay, so we're handling that between us. That's just between me, the grower, and the customer. Mm -hmm. um, but it still goes in through PACA that you're going to kind of mediate it yourself. Formal to me means that, no, now I've we didn't get what we needed, so now we have to hire a, or pay a fee to get a PACA attorney. Can you really go through that informal and formal process? Sure, sure. And uh, I think this kind of spills over to, uh, you know, misconceptions also. And I've got... I talk to veterans who've been in the industry for, you know, 30 plus years. Um, and a lot of my clients are, they've been with me for 20 plus years and they still get it wrong. So, um, <laughs> so first, if there's a dispute, absolutely, Patrick, you're right. Let's work it out together. Right. And I also say this, uh, this is just a little side note because I, I litigate, but I also, uh, prepare contracts for you know the food chain and when i draft contracts i say if this is a good perfect situation no one will ever look at this contract right because uh the relationship good the communication with your grower is good and it's profitable and everyone is happy at the end of the season but it's also a good contract will help parties resolve their dispute. So first, if there's a dispute and you have a contract, let's look to the terms of the contract to see how you should resolve it. If there is nothing that is written for any sort of dispute resolution process, then you have some options on how to resolve that. And one of them is going to the USDA for help. So the first process is filing an informal complaint. And the USDA has jurisdiction over this, but it's a very short window. You must file an informal complaint within nine months of when the claim arose. That's first one. And I think a lot of people miss that window. So that's a big one. I, I didn't know that. I, I honestly, <laughs> I, I did not know that at all about the informal process at all. I didn't know it was nine months. So that's good yeah. to know. Yes. And so it's very important to, yeah try to resolve it but you know sometimes parties who who are sophisticated and savvy will kick the can down the road 
And, you know, now you're running up against, you've been working on this claim for eight months and you're running the risk of really cutting yourself short and losing that um, uh, opportunity to resolve it with the USDA. It's a strategy. That may, Oh, I was going to say that may, and guess what, you know, for the, the scammers and those people that are out there, right. That, you know, we've talked off the mic about some, some cases, but yeah. yeah, you're right. I mean, that is crazy. That's a strategy to people that are using this in their favor, right? They know, yeah. they know if they drag it out eight, nine months, then they know you can't even do an informal process after that. Exactly. So let's say, let's just go back. And if you miss that nine month, that just means you can't go with the USDA to adjudicate your claims. You still have other remedies. You could file a civil court action and the statute of limitation of that will fall back in whatever state you're in and what the statute of limitation is for that breach of contract. Awesome. So let's say you have a dispute. You weren't able to resolve it. You're in the nine-month statute of limitations. You file informal complaint with the USDA, and they make it really easy. They, they actually give you a form <laughs> to fill out, um, and they want to make it as easy as possible. They invite a response from the respondent, and then uh, the USDA offers mediation services. So they're going to try to get the parties uh, to resolve the dispute, uh, and they offer Zoom mediation. Which I'm not gonna. Which listen, I'm not gonna lie. Uh -huh. I do not like Zoom court. <laughs> I do not like it. I do not like it at all. At all. I just want yeah. to be very clear with that. I don't know if the court system likes it, but it's not a. It's it's a definitely. I've been in court right in mm -hmm. litigation, and I'd rather be in court in front of everybody than being on Hollywood squares. <laughs> yeah, definitely. When you're in, well, for court, when you're definitely there, you get so much more feedback and knowledge of uh, personalities, mannerisms that you just don't get. Um, yeah, your little square. But uh, so the USDA will offer that uh, distance mediation service. And if all goes well, you reach an agreement and it's done. Uh, but, you know, often that uh, doesn't resolve the dispute. So the USDA will issue a basically an informal decision kind of saying, if claimant can prove this, uh, then this is the likely outcome. If respondent can show this or respondent thus far has failed to show X, and this will be the likely income uh, outcome, pardon me. Um, then they will invite the complainant to file a formal complaint uh, within 90 days. So it'll start the clock. Okay. Yep. And so once you, you have to decide now, okay, do I want to continue this route? You pay an additional filing fee and you file a formal complaint. And when you file a comp formal complaint, you have two routes to choose from. You could go what we call the documentary process where you're basically submitting everything, your evidence, uh, your, your legal arguments all on paper. The second route is by oral hearing. And that is very much like an arbitration where uh, you have, really you don't have any discovery unless you have some extenuating circumstances, but you just basically come to a hearing, put on your case, bring your witnesses, present your evidence to a hearing officer, and then you wait for a decision. 
does the decision happen that day? Do they say, or does it go to collectively? They got to look at the the bill of ladings. They got to look at the the timeline. They got to look at the USDA report. They got to look at all that, right? Right. It is a a thoughtful decision, and it uh it's rendered months later. It's not like I say real mediation to where. If you were to go to mediation, they're like, we're getting this done by eight, eight you know, 4 p.m. Right. Or 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 no one's getting anything, right? Like, and I've been through that as well, where they're like, listen, we have till 4 p.m. to make a decision. And if you don't make a decision, then you could you could sue us in court, right? Right. It's so this oral hearing can take place over uh, a series of days, you know. It it you have an opportunity, complainant has an opportunity to present their side, a respondent has an opportunity to present. Uh, their side. So it is a, a mini trial or an arbitration. Uh, so you could get it done typically like in two days. That's not bad. I mean, that that really is. And re- ready for all the listeners out there. Did you know that? <laughs> right. Think about this. Like, that's what I want to get, you know, uh, convey to the listeners that are out there in the produce industry is, do you understand that? Do you understand that 90 days? Do you understand the nine months? Because I can tell you, I think there's people that don't. I think there's Absolutely. really people out there that just don't understand it. And then their head, they're like, oh, whether it's a year old or or six months old, I can I can claim PACA because I have a PACA license. Exactly. It's it is a misconception. And people, I guess the distinction between the informal and the formal is misinterpreted all the time. People think, you know, when someone threatens, hey, I'm gonna file a PACA against you, the other side may think. You know, they hit the accelerator and now it's no stopping it. That's not true. There are opportunities to try to resolve the dispute at the informal stage before we go to the formal stage. Listen, I'm going to be real. I don't think I've ever in my produce career told somebody that I'm going to file PACA on them. Like yeah. seriously. And and I've, and I've told you about some of the cases that we're involved in now. Um, and we're not even in PACA yet. I'm going to say yet on this one, but nowhere in dispute resolution did I ever say as the grower, packer, shipper, if you don't pay me, I'm going to pack a you. Like nowhere is that ever in my conversation because sometimes, and I know when we talked off the mic, you're like, that's like, like blackmail. That's like threatening. Mm-hmm. Like that, that's to the yeah. point where you're like, I'm going to say this. And if you don't do now what I say, then I'm going to do this to you. And this is going to be on you. Right. And that's what's so crazy about PACA sometimes, because I I think that's what people do. Yeah. Because they know once they file that informal, it's, it's a tarnish on the respondent's reputation. It's public record, right? So the USDA has uh, their website and you could see if you search a PACA licensee, how many informal complaints they have against them, how many formal complaints to get them. And now uh, with the Blue Book services, right? I don't know if you use the Blue Book services. They're a, 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 a good resource. I use them all the time. They have a claims procedure tab when you look up um, a produce company. And that will tell you how many Blue Book claims they have, how many uh, PACA informal and formal complaints they have, and how many court cases, federal court cases are filed against them. So once it becomes public record, I think that's where, you know, if you're a respondent, you don't want the world to know you have a dispute with someone because, you know, if you're looking for customers or you're looking for suppliers, it looks like 
you are engaged in a lot of litigation. And, you know, that may not be the case when there's actually a bona fide dispute. I'm starting to think, and the buddy that I'm talking about is going to listen to this show and he's going to call me and be like, what the heck, man? <laughs> I'm starting to think maybe they're not 22 or 30 for 30 on PACA. Maybe it's them saying, I'm going to file PACA and they get the dispute resolution happen before it happens. Because I would believe if they filed PACA that many times, I don't believe they'd be doing business with too many people anymore, right? <laughs> like, because then it's going to show up in the database. It's going to show up who packs who, right? And it, that all shows. It's saying, you know, um, XYZ company packed June Monroe, XYZ company pack. It's going to be the same company listed, you know, doing all these PACA claims uh, with right. each other. So, wow, that's, that, that is, that's an amazing, you know, statement in itself, right? Um, crazy. Well, June, <laughs> let's do this. Let's take a quick break. When we come back, I want to talk about that pack of trust that was obviously uh, enacted as we got further down the road as in the amendment, okay, in 1984, when the pack of trust was created. I want to talk a little bit more about that dispute resolution. And I, I do want to ask you a question about whose side it falls on uh, in regards to responsibility and then uh, some misconceptions. So let's take a quick break and we'll be right back. Discover Orchard Freshness on Amazon Fresh with Arctic Apple Slices. Arctic Apple stays Orchard Fresh longer than other prepackaged, pre-sliced apples. This means less waste and no more half-eaten apples. Plus, you'll love the undeniable freshly picked flavor. Arctic Apple Slices are available in convenient grab-and-go bags in both Arctic Golden or Arctic Granny varieties in select markets on Amazon Fresh. Packable, snackable, 100% irresistible. JGLC, the place to be, a third-generation, family-owned and operated asset-based company. Throughout their 60 years in business, integrity, reliability, and loyalty to their customers has remained their top priority. JGLC guarantees 24-7 communication with your personal logistics coordinator. They offer competitive pricing without sacrificing services. They operate throughout the United States and Canada. JGLC's customers count on them for dependability and dedication carried out on every order, every time. 60 years of service for all your trucking needs. Visit them at JGLC.com for your custom quote. Welcome back to the Produce Industry Podcast, everyone. It's always great to hear from Dynamite sponsors creating Dynamite content for the produce and supply chain industry. Today, we're talking all things PACA with June Monroe, a PACA attorney. If you're just joining us, you missed us talking about the overview of PACA, the informal and formal processes, along with some timelines on when to put these claims in. June, welcome back. Thank you, Patrick. So let's move into the following years, right? You know, at the beginning of the show, we were in 1939 to 1983, right? Now let's get to 1984, which was when the PACA Trust was created. Now, I'm a grower, packer, shipper again. What is PACA Trust to me and how do I even use it or do I use it? So let's explain that to the listeners. So what was happening in the 80s and before that, right, is that, um, okay, now we've got the PACA Act down and it's a playbook for everyone how to behave and not how to 
can't act fraudulently, right? But then what was happening is that growers and shippers were selling product and not getting paid. And uh, the, the statute already says you have to pay promptly or else, and you have to account, I should say. You have I got to I gotta jump in on that though. Okay. <laughs> because pack a prompt says 10 days. Yes. Is that true? That's true. When so, it's a sale. Uh-huh. Don't tell anybody, but nobody pays in 10 days in this industry. Like, I, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Right? Like, I don't know right. if you know that, but uh, it's hard well, to get someone to pay right. in 21 days. Right. It, yes, I know. It's a, it's a, the struggle is real. Yes. The struggle is really real. Yes. Okay. 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 All right. Yes. Go back. I'm sorry. No, it's, it's very true. So, what was happening at the time is, uh, you know, produce suppliers weren't getting paid. Uh, their buyers would buy loads and loads of produce, not pay, and it turns out that they had a bank that was in this mix. And the bank then would either sweep accounts or they would, or the buyer would be paying the debt to the bank. So Congress said, this has got to stop. We got to make sure our growers and our produce suppliers are paid in full and promptly. So they created what we call the PACA trust. It is a floating trust. And what it says is that you buyer, if you buy product from a grower shipper and you fail to pay and ensure that that payment is made promptly, you violated a statutory trust. You're supposed to keep this amount that's due to your supplier um, and inventory and all products derived from that and all accounts receivables uh, in trust for your supplier. If you fail to do that, you have violated this pack of trust. And no, I'm in violation. As a grower, I can be a violation because obviously as a grower, I still have bills to pay within the growing department too, right? Think about it. It's I, just for the produce sale. So as a grower, if you're, let me back up. If you're a grower and you're also acquiring it you know, to subsidize your uh, requirements from your buyer, uh, you could have pack of trust liability from who you're getting it sourced from. Makes but, sense. But like if we have outside growers, right? Because right. A lot, some companies have outside growers. So if I took XYZ grower, right? And I say, hey, I'm going to pack a thousand acres for you, right? Mm -hmm. And then that goes into me packing it, shipping it to an organization, I know that I sold those boxes at X dollar a box. My profit is this much, but I got to take that actual cost that I owed him or her. And that goes into the pack of trust saying, this is what is owed to a grower. This has nothing to do with the other part of the operations. Yes. So what's so powerful about this law too, is that, um, so Congress creates this statute and how you know laws work is that it's broad. And courts then interpret the statute when there's disputes among parties. And how this is evolved is that by statute, pack of trust assets are the inventory, uh, the accounts receivables, and the products. But what we it's called a floating non-segregated trust. So if Makes you sense. right, so if you sell produce to a retailer and the retailer uh, is selling alcohol, dry goods. They are not segregating the sale of an apple in a separate account. It's all mixed together. So what courts have said is that when it's commingled, that whole bank account that has alcohol sales and dry goods sales, that whole bank account 
is a pack of trust assets. It's wow. Commingled. Right. That and was going to be one of my questions to you. If, if I do, okay, I am a broker and I do oranges, pineapples, grapes, dairy and meat, right? Then that all falls under the pack of trust because that was something that happened to me in the early days of my career. I got into a pack of claim over claims, right? For uh, pineapples that went to a processor. Obviously, mm -hmm. if you cut it and it's dry inside, the processor can't use it and they can't, you know, they bought 15,000 pineapples. They can't say, oh, well, we'll just lose on it, right? But then that that pineapple grower then says, well, no, I'm going to pack a you for <laughs> all of this claims and all of this stuff. But yet then I have grapes, oranges, onions, dairy, and they're suing me for all these other items. I cannot give them any monies out of all of those other items because that falls under pack of trust. And I still need to make sure I pay my citrus growers. I still got to make sure I pay my grape growers, even though they're disputing against pineapples. And then they're like, no, you're this million dollar company that has all, all these products, but that's one segregated, I would say commodity. Is that kind of right? It all falls under pack of trust if it's all lumped together as one organization. No. So it has, so Sales with perishable agricultural commodities is protected. If it's dairy, uh, it's not covered. But if you are selling that product and lumping it with other things and all that <laughs> gets into one bank account, yes, your entire yes. bank account is Got a pack of trust asset. Now, courts have then said, if you take that money in that bank account and you buy assets like a truck, or a freezer, those assets are pack of trust assets. Wow. I so, did not know that at all. Yeah. So the, you, the short thing is uh, basically presumptively all of your buyer's assets then are pack of trust assets. So this is why it's so powerful so that um, when your buyer fails to pay you, right, and they file for bankruptcy, because presumptively that debtor's assets are all pack of trust assets, as a produce supplier, you get to jump ahead of the line in front of all these other creditors in bankruptcy court and says, nope, we had pack of trust rights. We get to jump ahead of the line. But, that's cool. And that's yeah. cool. Though, and I agree with that because I've been in those situations where I've shut a company down myself, right? And, and obviously I was very fortunate that because I was segregated, you know, I took my citrus money out, right? Because mm -hmm. I had different growers, right? Mm -hmm. And when we did that, I had to separate it in accounts, you know, because it was the same bank account, uh -huh. but it was the pineapples, right? Uh -huh. So I had to then change it and say, no, here is the report on citrus. Like this is owed to citrus growers. Like this mm -hmm. is owed to grape growers. So that is that is so interesting. That is so interesting. I listen, everybody. I'm learning right now <laughs> as we're as we're on this podcast too. So even someone that's been in the industry for you know 18 years, this is all new to me too. This is some new some new stuff you're dropping. Yeah, I love it too because I think one of the things you say is that you know you, you're here to learn, and um, so this this is great, and I hope. Uh, you're learning uh, and, and taking a lot away. But I wanted to jump back to one of the things you said, which was payment terms, pack a prompt. So that is a key element of maintaining and qualifying for pack of trust protection. 
So PACA Trust was created to protect short-term uh, credit arrangement produce suppliers, right? So they arbitrarily picked, you know, PACA prompt as being 10 days because it's a volatile high uh, exchange market. But then they capped it, Congress capped it at 30 days. You cannot have payment terms on a pre-transaction basis, meaning before you ship your apples or citrus, right? You cannot have an agreement where your payment terms are more than 30 days. If you do, you are disqualified as a pack of trust. That's what I was going to ask you, because obviously we know certain retailers and wholesalers that they'll ask you to put 30 days on the the invoice, but they don't pay for 60 to 90 days just because how their inventory and accounting works. Like as crazy as it sounds, I have retailers that pay me in six months. Like I can <laughs> ship in January and then six months later, I will get paid. And then some retailers, they're paying in 21 to 29 days. Yes. But it, it is, it's like we on every single invoice do. PACA, net 10 days. Like on every single mm -hmm. invoice, that's what we do. And when it goes over the 10 days, that's when we start contacting them to let them know like, hey, we're over 10 days. You know, hey, what's going on? But a lot of times, and I don't know if you know this, but there are companies out there that are purchasers of fruit and vegetables that when they send over their setup, their vendor setup, it'll pretty much have a PACA uh, mm -hmm. what's it called? Uh, PACA trust language, mm -hmm. but it's more or less saying that you can't claim PACA on them because this is their payment terms. Yes. So they're pretty much saying like, and I'll be real. I think I remember during COVID, uh, one of the big organizations, you, you know, well, never like, um, just going to throw any company out there, right? Like a Nestle or, mm -hmm. or, you know, one of those big companies out there. Uh, I remember getting letters you know, or suppliers, you know, saying, hey, you know, these people are coming at us saying, you know, because of what's happening, they don't want to pay for 180 days. Right. And they're making a sign stating that's okay. Now, obviously, it wasn't Nestle. I'm just saying, like, it was yeah. some of these big corporations right. that they were now saying, we're not paying you in 30 days. We're having all these complications. The COVID hit us hard. But you had to sign as a grower, packer, shipper, marketer, that now you're saying, okay, PACA, PACA trust, we're we're giving that all up because what's happening in the in the world and the economy right now. Yep, that's happening a lot more. And you know, this would be a, a good time for me to insert my legal disclaimer, right? <laughs> this is that this is just for informational purposes, it's not legal advice, but correct, right? But big retailers, you're absolutely right, Patrick. They have the buying power. So they have in their embedded, whether it's in their portal, whether it's in their vendor packet agreement, right? They have embedded in there that packet trust does not apply. Or worse, it's buried on payment terms. They'll say things like, uh, they'll just flat out say they're not going to pay you. You know, payment terms are 60 days. Been there. Yep. And so at that point, you have to decide, is is this retailer so huge that I'm okay with not being packet protected so that I could get this business? And uh, a lot of my clients do agree to that. Um, but then there are some, you know, retailers that say, look, we understand this is 
the industry and we are you know willing to stick with 30-day payment terms to not go over what PACA says. And most are pretty good. I, yeah. I think as a salesperson, I've learned over time on how we how we vet these companies, how we talk to these companies, right? But it's also on another token that all of a sudden a big company calls you and you're like, oh my gosh, I've been waiting for this golden goose for so long. And all of a sudden they give you the payment terms and you're like, I got to pay my growers before that. Yep. And then it turns into a cash flow, right? It turns into how big your company is and so on. So I think that that's very interesting. And then that gets into like, if let's talk about dispute resolutions and, and those misconceptions, because look, that's a misconception, right? That is a right. misconception in itself of saying, well, pack of 10 days, but I'm going to also give up my pack of rides because I, I want you as a customer. So I'm going to waive it for 60 days, but then fruit or veg gets rejected and you want to get a USDA. And then they say, well, no, because we're not going by the pack of law. And you're like, uh, <laughs> wait, but it's, but I, that, that right. It's like, right. now you're, now you're almost like, what do I do? Yep. I just signed with this and now I'm out thousands and thousands of dollars. I mean, to some companies, millions of dollars. Oh yeah, millions, millions. Millions. So think about dispute resolutions. You brought this up earlier about Blue Book mm -hmm. and how you know Blue Book and PACA kind of have some similarities and they use each other. Because right? some people will file Blue Book first yes. before they file PACA because they know that it'll show up on their Blue Book report. Correct. So they'll go ahead and do that. And then if yep. they don't win or, or they do win, they might still file that, that PACA. Um, but here's my question to you, not legal advice, information only, everyone, <laughs> is, is this right here. Where does the responsibility lie? So if I go on Blue Book mm -hmm. and I research the Produce Industry Podcast, it says quadruple X, A, they pay in 10 to 14 days, Boom, but a boom, boom, boom. All of a sudden, this guy reaches out and says, I want to do business with you. We start down this path, and all of a sudden it's fraud. They just had a blue book account. They found out your information. They called another client, right? Using your name, using your packet, using your everything, right? Mm -hmm. And then you ship a load to somebody that really doesn't exist or they divert it to another location. It's supposed to go to LA and all of a sudden at 2 AM, you get a call saying it's rejected. It's going to Kentucky. And you're like, wait a minute. I'm so confused. What's happening here. But you did the due diligence of going on blue book, checking their credit report, calling and emailing, right? The, the, the right departments, but the liability seems to always go back to the salesperson or the company. I'm always curious about that. Like, there's a Dun & Bradstreet, right? We've got Blue Book. Mm -hmm. Does the responsibility always just lie on the company who's doing the business, right? Right? Like, what is that? Like, I'm, I'm, I get confused. Yeah. So um, it's all about minimizing your risk, right? You got a new customer who you want to sell to. Um, so you, you're right, Patrick. You have to do your due diligence. And Blue Book service reports is a big one. Um, another one I like to do is I advise clients have a robust credit application, okay, um, where they have to give you all the details about themselves and ownership, right? And um, you have to have, it would be a good idea to have in there uh, your payment terms, right, to make sure your packet protected. So if you're going to, 
um, this goes back to what qualifying for a pack of trust is, which is uh, the payment terms, right? So if you have anything that's not PACA prompt, you have to have it in writing. You have to have a pre-transaction agreement. So if you want to have 21-day payment terms, you have to have a separate writing. And a credit application is a good place to put it. But the key is that if you do have something that is different from PACA prompt 10 days, and it's included in a writing, such as a credit application, it must be consistent through all your billing documents. So if by default, your uh, invoices say pack a prompt, but you have a credit application that says 21 days or 30 days, you must make sure that your invoices accurately state what's on that credit application. So your credit application is a good tool to minimize your risk. Um, and they usually have trade references too, right? Ask for trade references. So you could talk to who they're buying for. And, you know, I, I've had cases where it was really sophisticated. The tra trade references were fake. <laughs> I, I've seen that too. I was going to yeah. tell you there's, we're doing an interview in the next couple days mm -hmm. with a company that got scammed that, someone literally sent a PO like it was coming from Walmart or Kraft and all these different things. They use the buyer's name, they use the buyer's email, but it was, oh, hey, just email me now on my personal email, but make sure you, you know, do AP at walmart.com or, you know, or chuckies.com or, you know, whatever it might be. Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden they found out that that company, that person didn't even exist in that company. Yeah, it happens all the time. And um, I think another big tool is don't extend too much credit at the beginning. They need to earn that credit. You hear that? You, know you hear that, everyone? <laughs> don't extend credit too far out. And we yeah. talk about that all the time, even being a grower, right? Is that 50% down on documents, 50% down on arrival. Those are all normal things that happen every single day. So I'm glad you said that. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, those uh, when you're a grower, you're in a really good position to ask for uh, you know advances on on the documents. Absolutely. I uh, think, and I think you should. You know, just like with exports, on exports, obviously going to China. You know, uh, California citrus ships a ton to Japan, Korea, China, and not saying that we don't trust the companies, but the fruit's going to be on the water for forty five days. 45 days. So what we are really inhibiting here is saying we need to pay our costs, our growers, right? Our cogs before you even receive the load. And that's kind of how always we do 50% down on paperwork, right? Which is, hey, we mm -hmm. got it packed. Here's your paperwork. We need 50% down, right? And then the next thing is once it arrives and passes the port in country, before it leaves the actual warehouse in country to go to their facility, we accept the other 50% and it gets released. And then if there's a claim, the claim has to happen within 48 hours of it arriving at the warehouse, right? Yeah. Because there's transfer warehouses in China, Korea. It doesn't go directly to the retailer. Yeah. So we then have to do 48 hours. If you don't have that claim back within 48 hours, then the, then the load's received in full. You owe us the... A hundred percent of the fifty percent that's owed. Yes, it's a it's a, it, it's a constant battle uh, 
to make sure that you're minimizing your risk. But yeah, that's a, a standard practice. I agree with that. I, and I like it too. So, I mean, we've covered a lot. And I think that <laughs> this is a perfect time that we're going to let this all soak in to our listeners. I think, June, that it, it'll be great to have you back on the show. Maybe oh, talk about it. some current events. Maybe talk about even transportation. I mean, that's a big one, too, that we always hear about. Yes. All of the above. And even like the co-mingling of the items that you just said, too. I think we can really get into that, too, of if you're selling multiple items and multiple products uh, through the warehouse or through the same bank account, I think that is a big one that people don't know at all. And I think some of these misconceptions and dispute resolutions that we talked about, I don't think, I mean, listen, I even learned on, on some of these, right? I even didn't know that, you know, 1984, obviously the PACA trust was created. 2011, there was amendments to how you deal with the buyer. I can see this moving forward that in 2024, there's probably going to be more added by 2030 based on how the economy, the growers, everything's changing. Yes. Yeah, I could. I mean, I've done, I do pack a trust webinars uh, just on pack a trust and they're, you know, 60 minutes, 90 minutes. I mean, I obviously can talk on and on <laughs> about the nuances of it um, because it's such a powerful piece of law and there are, you know, components on how you can perfect your rights and there are things that you do it's the accounting department it's the sales department it's ownership that do things to screw it up um and i'm here to you know help people navigate that to make sure they are in uh, the tightest best possible position to enforce their packet trust rights june is here to fix your <laughs> screw ups everyone that, that's what she's here for she's going to fix those screw ups cuz i guarantee you the credit app the terms all of that stuff probably didn't add up if they're if they're losing uh these cases so uh, it's amazing june and one thing we got to give you a huge shout out on is obviously june you and i met on linkedin you know, we, it was really just mutual understanding each other. Uh, I would loved all your paintings uh, <laughs> that you did for the fresh produce industry, right? From the cherries that I've seen, the apples, all the different products that go out to some of your clients. And I was very fortunate enough that you did a citrus uh, painting for me that we are going to have in the office. If you want to check out that, uh, that painting, you can visit my LinkedIn page, Patrick Kelly on LinkedIn, or as also known as Little Citrus, uh, we will show you the unboxing of that citrus painting. So June, I want to tell you, thank you so much. One, just for the fact of getting on and talking about such a complex subject and for the painting that is going to be in the podcast studio from here on out. Oh, I'm just, I'm so flattered and touched. Um, I shared your video with uh, my friends and family and uh, my youngest son, when he saw it, he, he said, Mom, he did an unboxing video. You didn't tell me he was going to do an unboxing video. Um, so it, it was it, it was so uh, joyful for me to watch you unbox that. And when I, I, I actually painted that for you on Christmas Day. Um, wow. Yeah. And and when I before I paint, I, I, what I do is that. Uh, I paint for my clients who are my produce clients and I, you know, study the fruit They're hopefully their product if I can. Um, but I know you're from orange. I know you're, <laughs> you are really, uh, 
citrus is a part of you and you know you're how many oranges you i think i heard you say you eat the four oranges a day oh listen i've got two 40 pound boxes behind me and over the weekend myself the kids and my wife uh-huh. ate half of the box oh my goodness for the weekend and then i'm about to juice i'm about to juice another 20 to 30 pounds today oh, so yes awesome. citrus is in my blood i bleed orange and yeah. yes, and ready, uh, I, I tell everybody this. And if you don't think that, guess what? I was born in Orange, California, too. Yes, yes. When I learned that tidbit on one of your episodes, I'm like, oh, my goodness. So I, my office is in Orange County, California. Uh, so it was just a, a great tie-in. And um, so I just wanted to speak a little bit about the pieces that you have such a high energy level. Um, I'm, You're just a natural at broadcasting. And uh, citrus, I think, is a good subject because that has that ability to be a little bit translucent and to capture light and that energy. Uh, And so I wanted to convey that in the piece so that it was really representative of who you are, Patrick. So, Well, I appreciate that. Citrus, like I said, is in my blood. I love it. I have not sent that to my dad yet. I got to send it to him. I did send it to my my citrus uh, uh, partner and he was just like jealous, jealous, like really cool. Uh, so I do love it. I appreciate that you did that on Christmas Day and definitely is going to have a place uh, in my heart and in the office uh, moving forward. So June, I want to thank you for coming on. I want to thank you for dropping a lot of knowledge and I can't wait to have you back on the show. You've been listening to the Produce Industry Podcast with Patrick Kelly. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes or Anchor to get new, fresh weekly episodes. For more, please follow us on Instagram and Facebook at the Produce Industry Podcast. Until next time, see you in the fields or on the horizon.